I was chatting with my sister yesterday. She video called me and we, we started talking. And I was in my office and my nephew Peter, he was in his, in his seat and he you know, was restrained. He's at that age where you still restrain children when they're eating food. He had a big smile on his face and he was just enjoying life in general. And then my, my niece Cora, she was painting a cross picture uh, basically all purple. She just took the purple paint and was proceeding to paint basically the entire page purple. And then my sister was taking that moment, as so many parents do, to actually attempt some level of adult level work of art in the midst of crazy children. And so she was working on an Easter sunrise, and then Cora finished early, and she proceeded to want to help my sister uh, you know, make hers a little bit better by adding a purple streak across my sister's perfect painting. And so, like any good parent, my sister like was stiff-arming her daughter. <laughs> you know, stay back, stay away. This is mom's opportunity to do something that is adult-ish. I don't know if you can appreciate that, those of you listening, but I think that that makes sense in my mind. Um, we were laughing, it was kind of funny. Um, and as I was just saying goodbye, my knee-jerk response, and it just kind of came out of my, my mouth, was, I'll see you soon. And then Cora looked at me like, really? And I was like, oh, um, uh, and she's like, for my birthday? And then I was like, oh man, I just did like, like that great no-no. I hate it when parents do that, right? When they make that promise that is like just trying to keep a kid calm and assuage their fears, but in fact, uh, there's not a lot of substance behind it. So anyways, I hang up, and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, it's okay. You can disappoint children from time to time. That's uh, how it goes. Um, anyways, so that stood out to me because uh, a lot of times this is an Easter. On Easter w is when we hang out with family, when we connect with one another, when we're physically with each other, and this unique Easter, we've been restrained. We've been removed. We've been cut off from that opportunity. And so this marks one of those strange moments where usually Easter is a, a day in the calendar that is dependable and consistent. We can come to anticipate being with family, and yet here we find ourselves not able to do that. And that's a challenge. Um, when things get shaken up, where do we go? Where do we turn? Who do we turn to? When life becomes unstable, what do you do? That's a question for all of us in this season and on this day, Easter. In Disney's movie, Frozen 2, um, it's a pretty good one, I was, I was watching it and it struck, it struck, uh, it was fun for me to see when Anna is hanging out with her friend Olaf and Olaf asks this deep question, do you ever struggle with the idea that things change? And the answer is classic. Uh, Anna responds, I don't worry because I have you and Elsa and Sven and Kristoff and I'm not alone anymore. Yes, we're getting older, as she goes to say. And in those times, I rely on certain certainties, like our friendship, like the feel of your hand in mine. And I thought, Anna, clearly you have not yet experienced a global response to a pandemic because hand-in-hand hand is not really something that is actually as certain as you might have thought. 
So she was holding on to these certain certainties in a bit of an ironic way. Um, but it did leave that question in my mind as well. In this time, in this era, not just today, but in our entire lives, there are these certain certainties that we hold on to, but when actual difficulties come, when the realities of life confront us, when the reality of death confronts us, they're not so stable. They're not as secure as you might have thought. And so, like myself, trying to give Cora some certainty about, yeah, I'll see you soon, I have to admit, though Anna was a bit naive, I can appreciate her response. And that's something that stood out to me in general for where we are and what Easter is all about. We have these big, bold, grand declarations that take place. And initially, when we are confronted with these big, bold statements, there's a bit of hope. Then we also push back and we say, oh, it's too good to be true, too big. Um, and I want to ask this question. You know, uh, you factor in change in general. You factor in the choice of others. You factor in the passing of time. And what do we actually have to cling to? What do you actually have that is stable and you can hold on to? Chances are, if you've tuned in and you're watching this live with us right now or later on when, uh, when this is over, you have some idea about Easter. And it, yes, it's not referring to Easter bunnies laying eggs, um, though that is confusingly a part of the story sometimes. Um, we are acknowledging today is a day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A day when we declare that he is risen, he is not dead, he is alive. He's alive. And so we have this great declaration that as Christians we make, and it points back to this great day, this cosmic revolution, where God in his mighty justice and love put an end to the sting of death. So we have this bold, big declaration. And that if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times it, it flies in the face of logic. It doesn't seem quite sane. It's not empirical. It, there's these factors in it that just are so big and so good that that pessimistic side of ourselves pushes against it. And so sometimes I've wondered, is, is Easter one of those moments where God is the father that's kind of like, the father that's saying to a child, yeah, 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 son, I'll come to your soccer game. Yes, I promise I'll come. And then the kid goes off, or yes, yes, I'm watching, as you're maybe not watching. Or yes, yeah, your mom and, your, and I, we're, we're going to stay together forever. Sometimes I think this world, sometimes I think, we sometimes look at this great, big, bold declaration in Scripture and in the season and in the story of Easter, and we wonder, is like, how much do I trust this? How much do I just let go and trust God fully? It's a challenge for us. What is your response to the Easter story? In this unstable world, is the resurrection of Jesus worth holding on to. 
Jesus, are you the one or are we to be waiting for another? Let's take a look in Scripture. I want us to go to the story of the resurrection in the book of Matthew. That's where we're going to start. And as we read this, so it's Matthew 27, starting at verse 62. So you can find your Bible, uh, grab it, open it up. Matthew 27. And I'd like to just read you this story. This is the story God is inviting us to believe. And not just believe like you might believe in the morals of a nice story, you know, the principles behind the story. This is, not a, this is not one of those situations. This is a story that God invites us to believe and to put our trust in. That we are actually to place our trust in this victory of Jesus. Um, and then we are to give our whole lives over to it. So let me read to you. Um, read along if you like. And I will start at verse 62. So this is just after Jesus has been buried. The next day, uh, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, after three days, I was, uh, said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then they go, then, going quickly, uh, and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers go, uh, to go to Galilee, where they will see me. Word of our, word of our Lord. They fall at his feet. They clasp him. They're holding on to this real Jesus. This is not just a story about the idea of resurrection as some just inner experience. This is a story of a man who was dead and is now alive. 
and that these women clasped him, they held on to him, they talked to him, and he sent them away. This is a story that is anchored in truth. It has proofs written throughout Scripture. And yes, part of me wants to spend all of this time talking to you about the evidence of the resurrection, how it, how it makes sense according to Scripture itself, outside of Scripture and the witnesses, the testimonies, all of this that points to the proof that this is real and true. But as much as I want to do that, where I feel more strongly led is for me to talk to you about why it is so critical for you today to put all of your trust in Jesus. To put all of your trust in him. His victory makes it worthy, him worthy of this. We have to put our trust fully in him. Jesus' victory breaks open our trapped hearts. When I, when I look in this story, I, I've never really noticed it before, but I was really thankful for the Lord kind of pointing it out to me. I want to draw our attention first to the chief priests and to the Pharisees in this story. These chief priests and these Pharisees, they loved their religion. They loved being in control and having the, the, the will of the people that they could can change the circumstances, they could do these things that were powerful. They loved it, and they loved the trajectory that they had in their lives. And then Jesus shows up and interrupts them. He changes the course. He starts to talk about God in ways that they believe to be blasphemous, though they're anchored in Scripture. And they hated him for it, and they ended up crucifying him for the claims that he made and the life that he was showing. These Pharisees, these chief priests, in their concern, asked this question if they could go and they could make sure that the tomb was sealed. And then Pilate answered them, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. When I read that passage, I felt God just reminding me Trent, how often do you try to make your life and your heart, your way, as secure as possible? That you try to seal in all possibilities of change or seal in all the possibilities of the unpredictable, where you try to control your life and make it such that nothing can interfere with the plan that you might have for yourself? And in this moment, I, as I read this, I just felt that God was reminding me as, and reminding all of us of how much I and how much we are like these chief priests and Pharisees. We like to be in, in control of our environments. We like to have religion in the sense that we get to say what's right and what's wrong and we get to mark the course and we get to point the fingers at other people and we get to be proud of our righteousness that we get to determine the course set. And it's not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these other people that were interested in it. Judas tried to force Jesus' hand in one direction. The disciples tried to force Jesus' hand in a different direction. Peter declared, you know, these things, and then Jesus turned to him and said, get away from me, Satan. Peter himself cuts off this ear of a, of a soldier trying to control the course of action. 
every time someone attempted to force the direction and control the situation, it just proved to be worse for them. Do you like your plans being interrupted? I do not. We, re we resist God because he interrupts and he shifts our lives and he invites us into a living not for ourselves but for others and there's resistance there. It's scary to trust a God that asks us to let everything go. It's hard to do that because we like to be in control. Our might is strong, our will is determined our desire to hold on and hold it all together, to white-knuckle and make our way through it. But the pressure builds, the cracks form, and eventually it breaks. There was nothing the Pharisees and the world could do to stop Jesus from getting out of that tomb. Nothing. There was no amount of soldiers, there was no amount of mortar, there was no amount of brick, there was no attempts that could be made that could stop our Lord from being raised from the dead and having victory. And to this day, right now, in this very moment, there is nothing in this world that can stop our Lord from being King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no amount of protection in our lives and barriers we can build up that he can't break down. Our God is big enough and strong enough. He is bigger than anything. He's bigger than any mistake that we've made, any regrets that we've done, all of the shame and the guilt. All of that is washed away and broken down because of what took place on Easter weekend, starting with the cross and moving to resurrection. We might try to control our circumstances and manufacture a way out, but there is no other way except the way of Jesus. It is beautiful and perfect and frustrating and we wish that we could control our God and make him into our own image and say do this and do this and he says no way I'm going to break these molds I'm going to open up this tomb I am alive and I cannot be stopped I cannot be contained this is the God that we are invited to serve a God who the world attempts to hold and manage and he just breaks it all open. And instead of us having our worlds broken apart and shown and exposed and leaving us destroyed and fearful and broken, there's an arm of embrace. There's love. There's compassion. Jesus is warm and tender-hearted in his love for us. I love that Jesus' victory cannot be managed or controlled. Because if I could control it, I would have turned it into something far weaker, far smaller, far less grand and beautiful. So when Jesus breaks open those seals and our protected hearts, he doesn't come in and just point the finger, but he has an open hand of embrace. This is the God that we are invited to put our trust in, a God who is powerful and mighty His victory enables us to start over and to keep going. We can start over and we can keep going. In Colossians 2.14 it says this, Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, 
which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When he went to that cross, it was nailed there. He paid the price. He sacrificed himself so that we could know freedom so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could be free from the bonds that keep us locked up, chained up, hurt, diminished, and small, and fearful. We are free. We are set free by the love and the sacrifice of our God. I picture a, someone in prison, living in prison so long that all of a sudden his chains are broken, and he's sitting there, and he's like, I'm free, and the doors are wide open. But he's never walked out before. He's never actually lived the life of freedom. And so he's sitting there, and the debt's been paid. He's been told he can go free, but go free to where? And what do I do now? And that's often how I picture the importance of these two events side by side. The cross, breaking the bonds, bringing freedom. And then the resurrection pointing us in the path that we can go. We don't have to be held back anymore, but now we also have a direction to go. And that is what is so beautiful about Easter, is that we are free from something, from our sin, but we are also free for a life and for purpose and for meaning. We get to start over because he has canceled the debt. And we are able to keep going because we have real hope. It's secure, and it's beautiful. So yeah, the cross tells us where, where we've been come from and where we are freed from. And Easter points us to what our freedom can do and what we can be up to. Easter points us beyond the tragedy of the cross to the hope of the empty tomb. It tells us that there is a hope for eternal life as Christ has conquered death. It also tells us that God has triumphed over evil and death and hell. This is our hope, and it can be yours today. Maybe you've never put all of your trust in God. Maybe a little bit here and there. Maybe Easter is just a nice, warm, cozy time with family. But today, I encourage you, put all of your trust in the victory of Jesus. He has conquered death. He has paid the price. We can leave our past behind and we can walk into a new hope and a new future. As I was preparing this message, I just, I slowly became more and more encouraged that while I'm standing here and while I'm sharing a message, the true message comes from the Holy Spirit through our scripture. That as we read this story and as we engage with what God is saying to us in his word, as we talk to one another and as we allow the presence of God to speak to our very hearts, that is where conviction comes from. That is where our, our, we discover our hope and our truth is that God actually speaks. He is alive speaking today, both through his word and through his word, also to our own inside ourselves, bearing witness that we can live and be free. So yes, we have good, beautiful, great promises given to us. 
Uh, in Revelation, there's this passage. And I'd like to read it for us. It's a Revelation 5. And it says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. So we have this scroll, we have this, this item of of importance and need and this angel is crying out like who can open this who can open this and no one can open it and John as he's having this vision is brought to weeping and he says this I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside then one of the elders said to me do not weep See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. It's one of those passages that's got all of these little bits in it, but at the heart of it, we are pointed to a king who is worthy to accomplish that which needs to be accomplished in this world and beyond this world. We have Christ Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended Son of God who is able to do so much for us. He has conquered and he has triumphed. He is victorious and he is worthy. As the worship team makes their way up, we're going to conclude with a beautiful song of declaration, a song that declares loudly and boldly that he is worthy. And I want to leave you with this. I want you to consider these things, that in a world that is unstable, there is one certain certainty, and that's Jesus Christ. In a world that is unknown and we don't know where things are going, Jesus' resurrection proves that he is worthy of our trust. We should trust him. We should trust him because he is the only one who can give you a fresh and a new start. This very moment, if you turn to him and you say, Lord, forgive me, I surrender, I put all of my trust in you, he is able to do that. We should trust him because he is the only one that is able to help us continue on. He gives us a hope, he gives us a future, he is not dead, he is alive and we get to participate in his resurrection. He is worthy. And I would encourage you, as you go about your day, that you consider deeply, that you consider that he is worthy, that he is the one and the only one. Let me read this to you. It's found in 1 John. He said this, I write these things to you who believe, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know what he hears, that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what he asked of him. Lord, as we go this day and as we sing our way out, Lord, that we would remember and choose to trust you. That we would put all of our trust in you. You are worthy of it. You are, you are worthy of all praise and all glory. Amen. Go in peace.